This episode is dedicated to the Chalice family as they mourn the loss of Nick Chalice. Our hearts are with them and every parent who experiences the loss of a child. It seemed fitting to move this podcast up in the schedule and release it early because it is an episode with Nancy Guthrie, who is no stranger to the painful loss of a child as she has lost two children. In this episode, we will talk about the pain that many parents endure, but also shift our focus to Christ and his coming resurrection. We are thankful in the midst of times like these that he is our hope, but also we mourn in pain with those who mourn. This is dedicated to you, Tim and Eileen, and your entire family. We love you guys. Welcome to the Further Gospel Podcast. I am Kosti Hinn, the host of this podcast, and I'm grateful today to be joined by a wonderful sister in Christ, a Bible teacher, and a woman of God who I greatly appreciate and my wife and I admire so much for her labor, uh, for the glory of God. Nancy Guthrie, welcome to the Further Gospel Podcast. Oh, Kosti, I'm so excited to get to have this conversation with you and your listeners. Awesome. I'm fired up. Let me tell everyone listening a little bit about her background. I'll kind of read you off the bio, and then we're going to jump right in because Nancy has a lot of wisdom on some deep topics that are going to bless you today. Uh, She teaches the Bible at her home church, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, as well as at conferences around the country and internationally, including her biblical theology workshops for women. I've actually had the pleasure. I got to meet Nancy at For the Church, one of the times where she was doing a workshop they took away my pulpit. I don't know if you know this story, Nancy. They took away my pulpit, left me with nothing. Your room was full. And I was in the back and I said, can I at least get a music stand? It was like Nancy Guthrie's in there teaching, you know, get out of the way. And all the women were just rushing in there. So funny side note story. She's the author of numerous books. Her most recent book is God Does His Best Work with Empty. Had the pleasure of endorsing it. Loved it. It was such a blessing. And I'd encourage you to pick that up on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. And then she's the host of the Help Me Teach the Bible podcast, and she and her husband, David, um, who she talked a great deal about even when we first met, uh, they are amazing partners in ministry. They host retreats for couples who have lost a child. They're facing the death of a child, and they co-host the Grief Share video series. And so uh, she is a woman who speaks from experience and lives what she teaches, her and her husband um, doing incredible things for families who are going through intense grief. So Nancy, um, I want to jump right in and maximize our time with you. You wrote the book, God Does His Best Work With Empty. You've written and talked a great deal about the topic of death, of suffering, of trials, pain, loneliness, and beyond. Um, Why are you so, um, well, why are you so helpful on the topic? But really, where does all that experience and passion come from personally for you? Well, it mostly comes out of the experience of the deaths of two of my three children. Hmm. Uh, My husband, David, and I have a son, Matt, who's 30. And then we also have a daughter, Hope, and a son, Gabriel, who were both born with a rare metabolic disorder. Hmm. That meant that their lives were very short and very difficult. They had a syndrome called Zellweger syndrome. And so they were each with us for just six months. Wow. 
And uh, when we had hope, you know, the whole time I was carrying her, I, d- I didn't know mm. that she would be born with this fatal syndrome. Um, and, a- and after we had her, then we knew, okay, we both are carriers of the recessive gene trait for that syndrome. And so we had a really difficult decision to make about whether or not we would have more children. And we decided to take surgical steps to prevent another pregnancy Mm-hmm. And evidently it didn't work. Wow. And so I discovered a year and a half after Hope died that uh, that I was pregnant. And then we went through prenatal testing and found out that child, then our son Gabriel, had mm-hmm. the syndrome as well. So, you know, I said that experience, as you can imagine, was just prof- profoundly shaping in my life. It It exposed some ways I misunderstood the whole purpose of the Christian life. Hmm. It plunged me deep into God's word to try to understand it in a deeper, richer way. I mean, I I had, you know, I'd been in a very intense weekly Bible study sitting on the front row for about seven years at that point. But I tell you what, you go through something like that and you go back to the Bible and you're reading it through a new lens, you know, and everything sounds a little bit different and certain things jump out at you Hmm. that didn't before. And every song you sing at church sounds different. And so all of those things just, um, you know, a lot, I think everybody, when they suffer, Costi, they all have the the question, why, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as people search out an answer to that question, why, people go in all kinds of directions to try to get an answer to that question. For some people, why is a very philosophical Mm -hmm. question. You know, why does the world work this way? That that kind of thing. Uh, For some people, it's a circumstantial question. They're they're looking for the answer to why this happened in their circumstances. Mm. And by that, they want to, maybe they have a foundational sense that God is going to do something good with this. At least they want the story of their lives to bend toward Mm. a an outcome or resolution that will make him look good. And so they're looking for a circumstance that they can look at and say, okay, that is kind of a good thing that has come out of this, that, that I can point to that that's why this happened. My approach was a bit different. My, my search, Costi, was I wanted a scriptural answer. Hmm. I wanted the, I want the scriptures to show me why, you know, uh, why me, why, why now, why this, why again for me? And so as I went into the scriptures, I just, I just went in with a whole new kind of energy and passion hmm. and, and looking for an answer to that question why. And I have, I think a lot of people will say that we can never get a satisfying answer or maybe we can never expect that an, an answer to that question in this life and to a certain degree I get what they're saying because maybe we can't the, the scriptures aren't going to nail down for us all of the details about what God's doing in our suffering because really he's yeah. doing many things yeah and yet the scriptures reveal a lot about God's purposes in suffering and about why this world is the way it is that would cause uh, cancer and birth defects and mm. accidents and disease and deadly viruses yeah. and death. 
Wow. I So I want to dig deeper into that. What are some of the scriptural answers you have found? And here's why I'm asking. It's a loaded question, and even our listeners should know where I'm going with this. I come out of a background that had views on suffering uh, theologically that were different, and so when I would endure something, I'd think, you know, all sorts of things. We have listeners from broad evangelical circles, different denominations, but we have a lot of people that came out of some pretty dark and deep, confusing beliefs as well. I've heard before in places I grew up in, you know, if you're suffering, you either did something wrong, so you upset God, or you don't have enough faith, or uh, you're allowing negative people around you um, I've even heard in some circles, like for example, if it was like what you went through or what other parents have gone through when they lose a child, um, that you know a spirit of death is attacking your home and you need to cast it out. Um, and I've heard everything else under the abusive sun, if you will, like uh, you have not given enough money to the church or you didn't submit to the authority of the church. And so God is uh, showing you that and you're not going to walk in the blessing. There are a lot of confusing approaches to this, and it can make the blood boil. What are the scriptures, the bedrock foundations that you found that can be maybe even hard truths for us, but they begin to put us back on the solid rock of God's Word? Okay, you're making my blood boil a little bit too, And probably because... As you mentioned in your introduction, my husband and I host weekend retreats for couples who have lost children. Hmm. And so, as you can imagine, those weekends, it's usually 10, 11, 12 couples come together for the weekend, and they've been surrounded by people who have said those things to them. So, this is this is legitimate. That's hitting home. Said those things to them, and... Hmm. and some of the and, and and so then on the other side of that, after their child dies, they are so confused. Mm. They're angry with God because you know something was presented to them in terms of what God had promised that isn't actually what He was promised. Wow! Or or they feel a huge sense of guilt. You know, I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't get enough people to pray. I didn't pray the right thing. And so I see the hurt and damage that does to people on the other side of it. And so, yeah, it, it really does make my blood boil because I think it's so harmful to God's people. So Absolutely. going back to your question in terms of yeah. what are some of the scriptural answers? Well, first of all, the most profound foundational answer to the question in terms of why of the suffering of this world <laughs> is found in Genesis 3. Hmm. In Genesis 3, we read about the sin of Adam and Eve. And God comes, he puts a curse on the serpent. He puts a curse on the ground. So we could think about the environment, the Mm -hmm. physical creation. He doesn't curse the man and the woman, but the curse is going to impact them. In fact, the, the, the curse on the woman Uh, she's going to have pain in childbearing. Now, we immediately think about labor pains in birth (laughs) and delivery, but it's so much more than that. Uh, It's the pain of birth defects. It's the pain of infertility. It's the pain of birthing and raising a sinful child in a sin-saturated world. Wow. I've never thought about that. I mean, anyone who's a parent, if you say to them there's pain in childbearing, Anyone who's a parent would never argue with you about that. No. Right? I mean, because as wonderful it is is to be a parent, it's agonizing at times. I mean, it's painful. And, you know, I'm a parent of a 30-year-old right now. And I can tell you, 
still, still, <laughs> you know, some of my greatest pain comes in that. So, you know, that never goes away when you have a child. So, um, you know, it's going to impact their relationship between this husband and wife. It's going to impact what's at the heart of Adam's uh, identity and purpose, which mm. is his work in the world. And so, wow. anyway, that, that's that's the most foundational answer to the question why. So, if you come up to me and you ask me, okay, Nancy, why do you think you've had two children who have been born with a fatal disorder? Mm. My answer to you would be because the curse of sin on this world has infected everything. It's mm. penetrated all of creation, even into my genetic code. Wow. So that my genes don't work right. Mm. And, and that's the most foundational answer uh, in terms of cause. Now, here's the thing about this question, why, Costi? Mm. We're always asking the question why, like we're looking for the cause. Now, I love it in... Uh, John 9. Remember John 9? Yeah. Uh, Jesus has just healed a man who's been blind from birth. <laughs> That's right. I know you love this passage. I've heard you talk <laughs> about it, right? So, okay. He's healed a man who's been blind from birth. And the disciples have a question. Hmm. Well, they have an assumption, first of all, don't they? That's right. That's they right. have an assumption. Okay. Well, we know why this happened. This happened oh, to yeah. somebody's end. And That's we just right. want to know who to point the finger of blame at. <laughs> That's right. And it's not a new assumption on their part. Because we've heard this before in the Bible. The whole book of Job is based on that assumption. That's right. That the way the world works is God punishes people with suffering in this life because of sin. Hmm. And so it's... It's the assumption of these disciples around Jesus. But it's so fascinating, Costi. Listen to Jesus's answer because their, their question is about cause. And so yeah. the big thing is, okay, when you hear Jesus answer, does he answer their question? Because Jesus's answer is, um, it, it wasn't this man or his parents the sin, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. That's right. Wow. So Jesus takes this question, why? And it's like he he takes the disciples' heads and he turns them away from looking back and being focused on the cause. And he, he turns their head toward purpose. Oh, that's so good. And he says, I've got a purpose in this. I, I'm going to put my glory hmm. on display for the world to see uniquely through what I'm going to do in this man's knife. Now, if anybody's listening and if they're listening carefully, they, here's what they might be thinking. They might be thinking, yeah, but um, the way he put his glory on display in this man's life was he got a miracle. Hmm. And if you hear that story and you're someone who prayed for and, and didn't get the miracle, maybe you begin to think, oh, well, Maybe that's not such a good story for me to be all that interested. Maybe he's maybe he said no to me. Maybe he doesn't want to put his glory on display in my life. Hmm. So we, we have to come to this miracle story and so many of the other miracle stories in the gospel and recognize that Jesus in his earthly ministry was constantly pulling back the curtain yeah. to show people what this world is going to be like when his kingdom comes in all of its fullness. Right now, in the gospels, we see the kingdom is at hand and he's healing. 
And but if we think deeply about it, that's right. He doesn't heal everyone. Mm-mm. Uh, the healings are. We would have to say they eventually. All those people eventually die. That's right. So the healing is not pervasive, and it's not permanent. That's right. The healing is not doesn't heal them of everything, right? So, no. so we can't say that his life and ministry was all about healing. He certainly did a lot of it, yeah. but he seems to be wanting to show us something about mm-hmm. who he is, yeah, and where this world is headed. Mm-hmm. And Costi, isn't it such good news that this world is headed toward? Permanent, pervasive hmm. healing. That day is really coming. Um, but we're not there yet. No. We're living in this in-between time, in between the time when his kingdom was inaugurated and he showed us some tastes and glimpses of it that we read about in the Gospels. That's right. And, in, and, and the day when he comes back. That's right. And that healing that he gave us tastes and glimpses of is going to be pervasive. It's going to be the reality that we live in forever. Amen. But what's so great is that that pervasive healing, that uh, the new creation Mm -hmm. that is to come, it's like it reaches back into the present, in the here and now, in my life and your life. But the thing is, it's primarily internal the new creation is something going on internally in us that that dead spiritually dead nancy and that spiritually dead costy have been made alive uh, it, it, paul writes about how you know the outer is wasting away but on yeah. the inside yeah. we're being renewed and so just going back to john 9:3 the reason we can be so happy when when jesus says when he says that this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in your life. You know, the work of God can be displayed in my life and your life too, in the midst of these things. And the way it gets displayed for you and I to have joy, genuine joy in the midst of incredible sorrow. I mean, that's something supernatural happening. That's on his the glory on display. That is his glory on display. When we trust him instead of doubt. Amen. His glory on display. When we have a sense of peace in the midst of chaotic circumstances, yeah. when we trust him, even though he hasn't explained everything to our liking. I mean, that's the the work of God in the interior of our lives being put on display for the world to see. And, and what a beautiful thing. And so if we go, why? Hmm. There's an answer. There's an answer to the question why. That, he, that his work in the interior of our lives, that's just a foretaste of what is going to come, is being put on display for the world to see. How much more should that make the gospel prevalent in our minds and in our lives, instead of viewing it as just a message or sort of a this this thing that I get, and then I'm going to get all the other benefits that he has for me. So I'm going to get the healing, I'm going to get the, the health and the wealth and the happiness, and my life's going to be amazing because I have this, you know, this salvation now. It the gospel, the way you're talking, it makes me think of it as, think of it as so much more, as this essential thing, because I'm not really living for the now, I'm living for the then, the what's to come. Um, do you think that people often overlook the gospel and then they're in, their, in our humanity we have a proclivity to chase sort of the physical benefits and we miss 
the most important thing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's so amazing to me is how this, even in corners where we would never, we would never say we believe in the health and wealth gospel hmm. or in terms of some kind of gospel that we can have everything in the here and now that's actually been reserved for us later is the way I would describe that. Yep. Um, it has so infiltrated us through Christian media, through the books we read, and just through our modern American uh, commitment uh, to the good life. Yeah, the pursuit of happiness, absolutely. Exactly. And so in many ways, we've kind of, the gospel's been so corrupted in terms of what we understand the purpose of the Christian life is and, and certainly what faith looks like. I mean, I think that's the greatest casualty, perhaps. Mm. Um, you know, just going back to, to my own experience, Costi, I, I so remember when our we had our daughter hope and i was like we were a couple of weeks into her life you know we're kind of adjusting we got to figure out how to take care of her mm. we're wondering how long she's going to be with us and it's a very rare disease so we don't you know really know what to expect and i so remember uh one day the the secretary from our church calling us and saying okay we've put you on the prayer list and we're asking everyone to pray and ask God to do a miracle to heal hope. And I said, okay, that, that's not how we're praying, wow. but that's okay. And, um, you know, people didn't know what to do with us. And, and maybe even some of your listeners right now, they're just thinking, who is this guest you have had yeah. on here? Because <laughs> they think you're crazy. Why? Like, clearly, doesn't have any faith, right? And um, you know, it, Costi, it had zero to do with hmm. thinking that might that God can't do that. I mean, God gathered up some dust and breathed into it and formed a human being. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. He can do anything. I think if he wants to handle it, he could. You're right. He can do anything. There were a couple of things that that were that that, that shaped that for us. One of them was our recognition that in the church, I think we're actually a little bit schizophrenic about some of these things. Like if you think about it. And it has to do with things we're familiar with and, and things we're not. So if in our church, a child is born with an extra chromosome, in general, you don't find a lot of people praying that God will remove that extra chromosome, right? Yep. Because we're familiar with this. This is, this is Down syndrome. That's and right. we know that it's written into every cell of their body. Mm-hmm. And, that, and we celebrate that this is God, who God has created them to be. That's right. And that, and that person is not less than, right? That's and right. so with Hope, she was missing some, a subcellular particle in every one of her cells that she needed for life. Hmm. And there were no children who, you know, live beyond a year or two with this syndrome. And so is it, is it impossible for God? No. 
But I think the issue for me in regard to faith, Costi, was just asking myself, what does faith look like in this? Does wow. faith have to look like the way it is portrayed in so much of the church? Wow. Which is to uh, create this huge movement and effort, begging, pleading with God to pray toward the end that I think is best. That's so spot on. Pray, like faith like faith is demanding a miracle. Faith is getting what I'm after. Like I decide here's what's going to be best and I get as many people as I know to pray toward that end. Almost as if faith. the secret to getting God to change his mind is like that I get enough people to gang up on him. That's Which powerful. to me is like suggesting that God isn't already bent toward working out his best plans for me. No, like we're going to lobby him like people do with government or politicians. And if we get enough lobbyists and we make enough noise and we make enough of a frenzy that God has to, and we we, we call out his promises and we're going to bind him to his own word, right? Because God is held, capped. I, that is a powerful picture you just painted. So here's the way I begin to, okay, so what's, what is faith going to look like? Yeah. For what us? Are these? Yep. And, um, Maybe I can best articulate it. I remember you know, a, a short time into Hope's life, finally everything had settled down and I, I, I took her up to the room that we had prepared to be her nursery and I mm. sat down on the glider rocker and finally everything was quiet. And I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, okay, finally some quiet to really pray. And wow. so I thought to myself, well, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask God to extend her life to make it as long as possible. I remember thinking to myself, you know, I already think I've been pretty generous to God to accept it's not going to be really long. <laughs> okay. And so, but couldn't I just ask him to make it as long as possible? Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I began to formulate that prayer in my mind. And then I thought to myself, well, what if a longer life isn't better for her? Wow. Or what if it isn't better for me? Mm-hmm. Could I be willing to pray instead for God to extend her life to exactly the number of days that he intends. Wow. And then to ask him for the grace I need for that to be enough for me. Wow. And so to me, I, you know, I, I think it actually takes great faith yep. to say to God that if you don't heal me, And if you don't heal the person I love, and if you don't heal the marriage or relationship, and if you don't supply what we need to save our business or save our house, I will still love you. And I will still obey you. And I will keep on declaring that you are good and that your intentions for me are for my ultimate good and your ultimate glory. I think that's what faith is. Unbelievable. That, as you're describing that, I'm thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're told, we're going to throw you in the fire. And then they literally, we have this up on uh, the, the the wall of Timothy's room, our two-year-old, he got diagnosed with cancer three months in. And up on that wall, it's sort of a paraphrase, but it says, and if not, he is still good, Daniel 3.18. And they basically say, oh yeah, you can go ahead and throw, you can go ahead and throw us in there. Our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, and that, I think of Job, you know, naked, I came into this world, naked, I go, 
The Lord giveth and he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Real faith, what you're describing, is actually being able to trust in the Lord in those moments. And what you're doing, Nancy, at least for me personally, and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners, is in a way, I'm not saying in a bad way, guilt and shame, but you, the conviction of the Holy Spirit through what you're saying begins to expose what easy faith is versus true faith or deeper faith. It's actually easy to go into an auditorium and to work up a frenzy. It's easy to turn the music on, turn the hazer on, and start shouting that Jesus has to do the miracle. It's easy to show up in a stadium. It's easy to, to yell at God for what you want and get a frenzy going. It is true and deep faith to literally say, God, your glory, your will, your way, not mine. I Yeah, what you've painted is just deeply impacting. Um, I mean, doesn't it... If the goal of our life is to share in the suffering of Jesus and to to be in Christ, to have fellowship with him, doesn't it mean then that we would experience learning what it is like to say to our Heavenly Father, not my will, but yours be done, but yours be done knowing that his will is going to cause us pain? Uh, that's certainly the, you know, the cup that Jesus drank. And, yeah, you know, actually, I think it's, you were mentioning earlier, just that question you asked me so long ago before I started preaching at you, um, <laughs> you know, talking about people, uh, you know, suggesting that the scriptures say we shouldn't have to suffer. And, you know, if mm. we're a really strong Christian, we won't have to suffer. And I just wonder what Bible they're reading, man. Um, because... <laughs> I, 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 you just can't find, you just cannot find a person in the scriptures no. who, who doesn't suffer. But most significantly in the scriptures, Jesus That's suffers. Right. That's right. He, he enters in. I mean, if our theology doesn't work for Jesus... Something's wrong, right? That's right. <laughs> but actually, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that in our experience with Hope and Gabe, that one thing it did, it, it made everything in the Bible sound differently mm. to me. And I remember a few mm. months after Hope died, being at Bible study, and we were in the book of, of Matthew, and I read that section in Matthew 26, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says to those disciples he's brought in close there in the garden he says my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death hmm. and i remember that day costy when i read that that's one of those things that sounded different to me and i and i i took out my pen and i wrote two words beside it in my bible i wrote jesus understands wow Jesus understands. Jesus understands what it's like for sorrow to be so heavy that it feels like it's pressing the life out of you. To Jesus understands the sick feeling in your stomach and the heaviness on your chest, the lump in your throat. And how beautiful is it that the, the gospel presents to us 
a suffering savior who enters into the suffering of this life. We can, we can, when we suffer, we're always looking for someone who's kind of a safe person to draw close to. And by that, we usually mean someone who's been there and so they can relate to it. Yep. And we discover in the midst of suffering that Jesus is a safe person to draw close to in the midst of our suffering because Jesus has suffered. And uh, what, what a privilege to draw close to him in the midst of his, of our suffering. Man, that is incredible. I, yeah, that's in my mind, one of those helpful truths that will drive people closer to the Lord in the midst of their suffering. Nancy, with that, take us sort of as we will kind of go from cruising altitude and start making our descent. Give us some practical wisdom practical insight. Everything you've said is practical, but I'm kind of going into the how we interact. You brought up a safe person, safe place, etc. Jesus is ultimately that. While we're relating to one another, what are some things that you would encourage listeners not to say to somebody who's in the middle of suffering? People don't want to say the wrong thing. You know, those the platitudes like, hey, chin up. You know, it, it's going to get better. And you're going, I, I lost a child. It's like losing a limb. It's not coming back to to this world. I'm not going to... So you, it's not going to get better in a sense in that way. Help us understand what to say, what or sorry, what not to say. And then on the heels of that, just take it away and, and give us some truths that we can encourage people with. Yeah. Well, first of all, I wrote a whole book on this. I wrote a book called What Grieving People Wish You Knew uh, and What, what Really Helps and What Really you. Hurts. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, if somebody really, you know, wants to grow in this way, you might look at that book. But in general, first of all, you know, some of it depends on the relationship that you already have with that person and the timeline of, you know, where things are in in regard to their loss. There may be some things you can say six months down the line that you don't say the night you go over to their house when that person has died. Um, but here's 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 couple a couple of biggies. All right. One biggie is our assumption is that it's about what we say. And, and what does even that assumption say? It says that we're doing the talking. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's and good. so uh, it it's a great gift to be so humble before someone's suffering that you actually aren't trying to fill up the awkward silence wow. with anything. Hmm. Um, it's... It's a great gift to have a friend who asks you good questions. Our most natural question is, how are you? And that's a little bit of a hard question because if you're in the midst of grief, it's like you have to give a report all the time. Yeah, yeah. And and, and like to judge I'm better than it was or whatever. And, and that's not so good. So to come up with a creative question such as, what's your grief like these days? Because awesome. that assumes you probably are grieving instead of, I think you're already past this right now, or, or, or that's the goal to get past it. I mean, we often act as if sadness is the big enemy, and we just need to get people past this sadness, and then we'll say they're doing good. Well, when you lose someone or something that's really valuable, it makes sense you're going to be sad, and sad for a while, and the the value and love for that person is reflected in the depth of sadness. So sadness is not the problem. Grief is not the problem. Um, so to allow, to give someone time and space to be sad and be willing to just be sad with them. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes silent in it. Sometimes if you're, if you're, you have the relationship with that this person. And if you have the ability to be that person who's willing maybe to open up the scriptures with them to search out answers to some of their big questions. And let me tell you what the big questions are always centered around in the midst of this, the sovereignty of God. Wow. So was, was God in this? Did, was he, was he asleep? Yeah. Um, so, and those aren't easy Mm-mm. questions to answer. And in many ways, in many ways, our vocabulary is too limited mm. to actually, uh, helpfully and accurately uh, put words to the sovereignty of God over the suffering of this world. And yet we can try because yeah. the, you know, those, those things we, we struggle to make sense. But um, if, if I'm going to, to nail it down to a couple things, I, first of all, do say something. The, the worst thing is to ignore someone's loss. And as I say that, Costa, I have to tell you that in the midst of my own loss, I realized I was so humbled and saddened by realizing how often I had done that. Wow. That uh, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not close to them. They won't even notice if I didn't say anything, if I didn't even acknowledge it. And once we had our experiences with Hope and Gabe, I realized you realize everybody who said something to you or wow. hasn't or hasn't acknowledged it. And, and you know, it was incredibly painful to me that for some people, my daughter's death didn't even merit a mention. Wow. I mean, that just so diminished her as a person mm. and her value. So, you know, say something. And, and, and as you say something, your goal is always to esteem that person's loss. Mm. If that's, if you, you're thinking about, should I say this? Should I not say this? Run it through that grid. Does it esteem that wow. person's loss. So for example, that means you would never say, well, at least, and then finish that sentence. I mean, you're trying to get them to look on the bright side, right? But what does it do? It diminishes, diminishes. that person's loss. That, that's like, this shouldn't really hurt you that bad because, you know, look at the bright side. Wow. So there's just a little grid to kind of help you in trying to figure out, you know, is this a good thing to say or bad thing to say? Does it esteem their loss? That is absolutely brilliant. I, I can't, it'll be hard to pick which kind of mountain peak in this episode will be most helpful. I think for all of our listeners, there'll be different moments, uh, maybe moments of conviction. For for a lot of listeners, I think that last part was so helpful because people just don't know what to do. But everything you've mentioned, I think it, it helps us realize we go back to the scriptures. I mean, Job, his friends, they sat silently with him. Uh, Job's wife said, you know, curse God and die already. You know, what'd you do? And then eventually his couple of his friends are like, what'd you do wrong? You know, it probably was your fault. And then you've got Paul to the Romans saying, mourn with those who mourn. And so um, you keep pointing us back to scripture. And so to, to sort of finish out here, what are some key doctrines? Our, the tagline for our ministry and our podcast is sound doctrine for everyday people. You know, and, and I'm probably guilty of this. We all are. We use a lot of big words and big concepts, and you really haven't done that. This has been so practical and helpful. If you were to bring the cookies down from the top shelf, so to speak, for all of us, what are some doctrines or theological concepts that you would encourage everyday Christians to go and study? You already said the sovereignty of God, so let's include that. What else or what aspects should we be digging into? Resurrection. The resurrection. Resurrection. Uh, I, I, in the message, uh, Eugene Peterson 
paraphrases 1 Corinthians 15. He says, it's resurrection, resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of what I'm saying in that, it, you know, when we named our daughter Hope, I hardly knew what that word meant. I just liked the sound of it. Mm-hmm. And over time, people would always ask us, when did you name her? Did you name her? She, she had that name before you knew her diagnosis? Or did you name her that after? And, you know, they're asking because maybe we gave her that name, Hope, as if we're hoping that this diagnosis won't be true. Yeah. You know, hoping for a different outcome. Now, actually, we had had that name in mind for her forever. Hmm. But our experience with Hope forced me, in a sense, pushed me to figure out what hope really is. And our world uses that word hope, like cross your fingers for what you deem to be a good outcome. That's not how the Bible uses hope. It talks about hope all the time. Mm -hmm. But every time it talks about hope, it is centered on one thing, resurrection. Wow. Resurrection. And I think, Probably the the most profound thing that's happened to me over these 20 years or so since Hope's life and death has been filling out my understanding of what hope is. And for for that for that much of that has meant being immersed in a particular way of studying the Bible, biblical theology. And what biblical theology does is it looks at the Bible as one cohesive story Mm. about what God is doing in the world through Christ. So if you had asked me, Kosti, for most of my life, what does it mean to be a Christian? I would say, you know, I make a decision for Christ. I take hold of him and I try real hard to live from him. And then I go to heaven when I die. Hmm. And that was... And none of those things are untrue. No. But it's so substandard. It's so diminished. Yeah. Because what God is doing in the world, ever since that curse we talked about in Genesis 3, right. he has been working out his plan to put an end to that curse. The curse on creation um, the and the impacts of the curse. Yeah. And, and there is a day out there that we are looking for, we we know that Christ ascended and there's a day coming when he is going He's to going descend. To Amen. And when he does, Romans 8 tells us that the all of creation is groaning, longing mm. for that day when Amen. all creation will be set free from its decay and futility. And it's long for the day of the um, revelation of the sons of God. In other words, it's longing for resurrection day. Amen. The day when you and I, when our bodies get called out of the ground, right. what our bodies, probably they'll be just a bunch of dust by then, but God <laughs> is going to remake them. He's going to fashion for you and me Amen. a body, a glorious body. Only one human has a body like that right now, Jesus, yep. Jesus. who is in heaven, but he's going to make for you and me a glorious body like his own. Our spirits, when we die, our body's going to go on the ground and our spirits are going to go to be with Christ. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back with him and he's going to Make us once again body and soul, except this Amen. time our bodies will be fit for living forever with him in a new heaven and a new, new earth. earth. So I've been to some funerals where the funeral was all about the person and their life here and how happy we can be that they're, yep, you know, like hitting golf balls in heaven or something like that, that aren't centered in the hope of resurrection. <laughs> and our whole life, Costi, my life your life 
if we think about when I look out in the future, what's the next big event in my life? The next big event in our life is Resurrection Day. <laughs> Come on. I and, love that. And, and that's what the Bible's message is centered on. If you, if you read the New Testament, you just don't find all of this using God to get a good life here. No, it's all eternal perspective. It's all driving to setting your Setting your mind, your heart, your eyes toward that day to come when mm. he's going to make all <laughs> things new. And so you know, if your question was, you know, foundational truth, hmm. nurture your understanding of your longing for Christ to come again and make all things new, that resurrection day. That's the hope the Bible sets out in front of us. That is the best note to finish on. It's the greatest note of our lives here in the life to come. Um, Nancy, honestly, thank you. Thank you is an understatement for being able to have you on for what you've shared. Where can our listeners get more of your resources, um, sign up for workshops, and dig in more with you? Yeah. Well, it's a really creative uh, uh, website address. You're going to love it. It's nancyguthrie.com. <laughs> That's easy. There you go. Awesome. Everything's there. Yeah. Wonderful. And so we are... Uh, all week long, this podcast drops on a Monday, like all of our podcasts. Um, all week long, we're giving away copies of Nancy's uh, book, God Does His Best Work with Empty. However, um, we also are going to be giving away the other book. Nancy, will you mention it one more time, the book that you mentioned that you wrote on the topic of helping others? And Yep. All right, so we're going to be giving away both those books. And then if you didn't win or don't win, um, go ahead and go to Amazon or wherever books are sold and pick up those books, buy one for yourself. And definitely if you don't have those already in your church library or you haven't had those on your list of resources to give people when they go through times of loss, get them and give them out. Nancy, thank you again. Thank you so much. And thank David for letting us have you today. Well, thank you so much, Costi. I'm so grateful for what God has done in your life, what he is doing through your life, and what he's going to do in and through this podcast. So way to go. Hey, we're looking forward to the resurrection together. Uh, I know I speak for all of us um, at our, on our team, our audience, when I say we're blessed by your ministry. And this episode is going to be a huge blessing. So share um, and give it a listen and make sure it gets into the ears of somebody who needs it. For more, go to furthegospel.org and subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify and follow us on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We'll see you there and we will see you next time on the For the Gospel podcast.